My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Jade Cooligan-Pang. There has been no shortage in recent years of stories from post-secondary institutions across the continent that make it clear to anyone willing to listen that sexual violence is a major problem on campuses. These stories make equally clear that a lot of universities do a pretty rotten job of preventing sexual violence and of responding to it when it happens. So students at a number of different Canadian colleges and universities have formed a group called Our Turn to take action on the issue themselves. Back in 2015, with the passage of Bill 132 by the Ontario government, universities and colleges in the province were mandated for the first time to develop standalone policies dealing with sexual violence, and they were required to consult with students as they did so. Jade Cooligan-Pang is an undergraduate student taking political science and human rights at Carleton University in Ottawa, and she was one of the people involved in drafting the Undergraduate Human Rights Society's comments on Carleton's draft policy. Some of their suggestions were adopted by the university, but they still had some significant concerns with the final version of the policy. When they approached the university administration to work on further strengthening it, they were informed that there were no immediate plans to reopen it. So at first, their only reason for researching the sexual violence policies at other institutions, in Ontario and then across Canada, was to strengthen their arguments while putting pressure on their own administration. Pretty soon, though, they realized that there were problems common to the sexual violence policies of many different colleges and universities, and they decided to connect with other students on campuses across the country to push post-secondary institutions to do better. The National Our Turn Committee reviewed the policies from more than 60 schools. They developed standards for what an ideal sexual violence policy would contain. Then they reached out to student unions and offered them the opportunity to collaborate in doing an evaluation of the sexual violence policies at their respective institutions using Our Turn's framework. A total of 14 student unions participated, and Our Turn published a report card and action plan in October. The grades in the report card ranged from Toronto's Ryerson University, which was given an A-, to half a dozen schools which scored in the D range. The students found numerous problems common to many of the institutions. For instance, some policies do not adequately define consent. Some universities and provinces that do not mandate that post-secondary institutions have a standalone sexual violence policy deal with sexual violence via a generic student code of conduct or something similar, often using much the same process as they would to deal with, say, plagiarism or some other mechanism that is simply not adequate to deal with the serious realities of sexual assault. Some do not cover all situations within campus life where sexual violence can be an issue. Some do not do enough to center the safety and well-being of survivors in the complaint process they create. Some do not go far enough in accommodating the needs of survivors in terms of academics or student housing. Some do not do enough to recognize the ways in which other aspects of identity intersect with gender to shape experiences around sexual violence. 
Some allow senior administrators the discretion to unilaterally override the process. And many do not go far enough in requiring that students be taught about things like consent and bystander intervention. And this is just a sample of the problems that they found. As part of the Our Turn Action Plan, the student unions that signed on each agreed to create a local Our Turn committee on their campus that will do work around prevention, support, and advocacy related to sexual violence. This will include things like running their own trainings related to bystander intervention to help prevent sexual assault, passing a motion acknowledging that rape culture exists on campus and committing student unions to working towards consent culture, and engaging in advocacy on the issue on their campus, in their community, and with their provincial government. And the National Our Turn Committee is continuing to work to get other student unions to sign on to the action plan and intends to continue pressuring provincial governments to strengthen their requirements and their oversight for university and college sexual violence policies. Jade spoke with me about sexual violence on campus, about what universities need to be doing about it, and about the work of Our Turn to build a student movement to end campus sexual violence. My name is Jade Cooligan Pang. I am currently a Carleton University student. I'm in my undergraduate degree and I'm studying political science and human rights. I am also the vice chair of the National Our Turn Committee. Our Turn is a student-led organization and we came together through looking at our own sexual violence policy at Carleton to combat the issues that we were facing with that and with Bill 132 from the Ontario government. And in doing so, we kind of noticed that a lot of other schools across the city, across the province, across the country were having the same issues with their own sexual violence policy. And so we decided that we would come together and create a comprehensive action plan and evaluate different university sexual violence policies across the country and try and find the best way to go about making the proper amendments so that all sexual violence policies are survivor-centric and supportive. So a lot of sexual violence is perpetrated by people that you know, people you are in relationships with, whether that be friendships, work-type relationships, or romantic relationships, as well as people in your family. In terms of sexual violence on the campus level, it's a very unique situation. We're not just talking about sexual violence in the workplace, and we are not just talking about sexual violence at home and in our personal lives. All of these components of your life come together when you are living, working, studying, and just being on a campus. Students spend so much of their time on campus, and of course, students who are living in residence, they don't leave campus and ever really get away from campus and the community, whereas I don't live on campus, so I can come home and I can be in a place where I'm a little bit more able to dictate what's going to happen to me. So that's why sexual violence policies and having a comprehensive and accessible sexual violence policy is extremely important. It's not just important for students, it's important for staff and faculty as well. It's such a unique space to be in. You can have a student who studies, lives, and works on campus. The most dangerous time for sexual violence is within the first eight weeks of a school year. That is the red zone. It's a term that came out of the United States. You're significantly more likely to have an experience of sexual violence within those first eight weeks. That's including Frost Week. And it's a really vulnerable time for new students who are coming in, finding their feet after leaving home for the first time and being on their own. 
2015 it was that the Ontario government came out with Bill 132. So that was mandating that all post-secondary institutions have a standalone sexual violence policy, which means that that policy cannot refer to any other policy. For example, it can't refer to a student code of conduct policy or anything like that. A lot of, if not all of, the Ontario post-secondary institutions had to create their new sexual violence policy so that it was standalone. And the government actually mandated that they have student feedback. So what our school did at Carleton University is they created a draft. They sent it out to the student body and the faculty and staff. So we had the opportunity to give our feedback. I am part of the Carleton Human Rights Society. I'm the current president this year. Last year, I was vice president external. And last year, we, as the Human Rights Society, decided we would write an open letter to the Carleton University administration to ask for specific changes. These changes were things like allowing the survivors and the complainants to know the sanctions that were placed against the respondent, if there be any, for face-to-face protections, just kind of basic stuff like that. And a lot of that stuff happened to carry over into the work that we've done and are continuing to do now. So that's how we really got started at Carleton. Myself and the chair, Caitlin Salvino, were both part of the Human Rights Society last year, and we both helped and contributed and wrote letters to the Carleton administration that were actually received fairly well by them, I would say. They actually took into account some of the recommendations that we had made, which was a big deal for us because a lot of groups had made recommendations and we were the only ones whose recommendations were accepted. Not all of our recommendations were accepted, and there's still a long way to go, but that's how we really got started. Then we ended up having meetings with the Carleton administration, the Student Affairs Office, to try and make sure that we can continue to make these proper amendments and changes that we needed to see in our sexual violence policy. When we were told that there was no interest in reopening the sexual violence policy, that's when we kind of went and we decided we're going to make our own committee and we're going to do things ourselves. So what happened was in meeting with the Student Affairs Office at Carleton University, we were asking for different things like an immunity clause, for example. So this immunity clause would be like if a survivor of sexual violence was under the influence of alcohol or drugs, for example, marijuana, that they wouldn't have any repercussions held against them because that is a big factor in why a lot of students might not report sexual violence, that they're afraid of something happening to themselves instead of the focus being on the act of sexual violence. They don't want to get in trouble for minor drug and alcohol use. So that was a big suggestion we had made to our administration. So we were looking through different policies. I decided I was going to look at all the policies across Ontario since we were Ontario-based and working off of Bill 132. And Caitlin did her undergrad thesis on sexual violence policies across the country as well. So we both had a really good working knowledge of different policies and what was in them. And so we were trying to take this as evidence so that when we went to these meetings, I could say, well, this school here, Frierson has this. Why can't we have this? A lot of the arguments that the administration would make was, oh, it's not legally plausible and we can't do this. It's just not feasible for us. So we would go and look at different sexual violence policies and we read through all of them and we highlighted things that we thought were wrong and we highlighted things that we thought were great. And in doing so, we noticed that there are a lot of common things that are missing throughout the policies in Ontario. Then we thought, let's look outside of the province and let's see if we can find it elsewhere. And the same thing happened. So we kept expanding and expanding and expanding and doing our research for our own sexual violence policy that we really came to realize that this isn't just a Carleton issue. This isn't just an Ontario issue. This is a national issue that needs to be addressed. 
So why do you think that universities aren't already doing better when it comes to sexual violence? I think there are a lot of factors in why universities aren't doing better at sexual violence policies. For one, the provincial governments have only recently started to pass these bills that require post-secondary institutions to have standalone sexual violence policies. A big, big issue that we found, particularly outside of Ontario, other than in BC and Quebec, that a lot of sexual violence policies either refer to another policy that would deal with the same thing and have the same process and have the same outcomes as an instance of somebody who has plagiarized their paper. Sexual violence and plagiarizing a paper are on very different scales. They're very different things, and it just doesn't make sense to have them put together. But there is nothing mandating universities or colleges to do anything different. So I think that was a big reason why. Second, I think... I don't want to say ignorance, but just that people aren't knowledgeable in the in the topic and how to go about different ways to help survivors but not infringe on the justice system or on having a due and fair process. I think that has been a really big issue. And it still continues to be an issue today when we're dealing with different asks of ours to different universities. There's a lot that I didn't know before I started this work. But that doesn't mean that we can't try to do our best to learn and to grow and to make it better. And then I think there's a legal issue as well where universities don't want to be held liable for different things. There's just a whole bunch of different reasons why, but they can all be smoothed over. Like they can all be fixed and it is possible to have a good sexual violence policy and it is possible to have these different components because we've seen them all across the country. How did that transition happen? from doing research on the policies at different institutions to actually working with students at different institutions to try and change things? So we decided we would really like to do a grading system. We're in school. Grades are really important. Grades are important to post-secondary institutions. And we thought this would be a really good way to show that sexual violence policies aren't doing very good. But we didn't want to just make assumptions. So we contacted different student unions, different schools, to see if they would be interested in evaluating their sexual violence policy with us. We came up with the guidelines, we came up with all of these different components, and then we went through the sexual violence policies with the student unions. They were really receptive, they were excited that somebody was doing this kind of work, and that they would have something to take to their administration, so they were really great in getting this work done with us. We would approach them and say, look, we want to go over the sexual violence policy. And the thing is, being in Ottawa, we can't say or understand what the culture is like on UBC's campus. Because UBC has a different campus vibe than Carleton does. The University of Ottawa has a different vibe and different policies and different understandings and stuff than Carleton does. So it was really important for us to work with the student unions of the schools that we were evaluating because they had the insight and they had the experience and the knowledge on the sexual violence policy and how the process works. And so that's how we really started getting people from different corners of the country. How did you go about developing the guidelines for your evaluation of sexual violence policies? And what's some of the content of the guidelines? When we were looking at our own sexual violence policy, I sound so repetitive, but everything just stems from when we were looking at our own and looking at different sexual violence policies. And it was a theme of what was missing and a theme of what was really good. One thing that was really important to us was the definition of consent. 
a lot of universities had similar definitions of consent. Some we thought were missing components. So we decided we would mainly build off the definition that was provided by the Ontario government in Bill 132. And so we would look and go through every policy and see, does it talk about affirmative, continuous verbal consent? Does it talk about power relations? Does it talk about alcohol use or drug use and not being able to consent if you're under the influence? Does it talk about consent not being able to be assumed? And so we would go through all of the policies and find different things that we liked and different things that we thought were missing. So there's five different sections. There's the general section. So the general is stuff that if they have a policy, if they have a standalone policy, if the policy is accessible, if it's comprehensive, that kind of stuff. The scope. So the scope determines who the policy applies to. So does it apply to alumni? Does it apply to visitors, which are two big stakeholders that a lot of universities didn't cover? Does it apply to activities on campus? Does it cover stealthing? Does it cover online activity? Then there is the complaint process and the composition of the decision makers. Those are really important. You don't want just people at the top who are able to unilaterally make decisions on a sexual violence case. Some schools, and Carleton University was one of the ones who had had the clause where the president can make an exception for any case. And that was one of actually one of the recommendations that the Carleton Human Rights Society wrote about to take out, and they did take it out. But there are other schools across the country who do have that written in, and that's a really big issue. And then we had education. Education on how to prevent sexual violence, education on supports for sexual violence, education on what rape culture is, education on intersectionality. So those are things that we found were really important and might not actually be in all of the sexual violence policies across the country. Earlier, you used the phrase survivor-centric to describe one desirable characteristic of sexual violence policies. Talk about what that means. So survivor-centric is making sure that survivors are comfortable and protected along the way. There are some cases that we are aware of where survivors are turned away or they're not protected. So being survivor-centric is ensuring that supports are there for them, as well as for the respondent. Like, we're not advocating. I think it's really important to point out that we are not advocating for only survivor-centric stuff. Survivor-centrism is just something that we find is significantly lacking right now. So we want to make sure that the needs of both parties are being met, but unfortunately, a lot of the times right now, the needs of the survivors are not being met. For example, a lot of policies don't have face-to-face protections. So that means universities and the complaint process that they've laid out in their policies will have survivors and the respondents sit together in a room. That can be very traumatizing for a survivor. That can be very scary. And that is a perfect, perfect example of a case where a policy isn't survivor-centric and a university is not acting in the best interests of a survivor. We want to make sure we're not re-traumatizing them. We want to make sure that they are comfortable, that they are able to continue on with their life as much as they can and in as much of a normal type way as they could. Another issue that we found is that there are significant lack of accommodations for survivors, whether that be academic or housing. There have been issues where there was a survivor and she was in residence, but housing didn't move the perpetrator out for a couple of days. So that survivor had to sit in her dorm room 
in the same building or the same campus as somebody who attacked her. That is not survivor-centric. We want to make sure that everybody feels safe and comfortable. And you also mentioned earlier the importance of recognizing the different intersections of experience and identity and the ways that those shape how people experience sexual violence. What does that mean in practice and how does it translate into policy? As of right now, only eight schools that we evaluated recognize intersectionality. So only eight schools recognize that somebody who is a female, who is minority, who English might not be the first language, somebody who has a physical disability or a mental disability is significantly more at risk of being a survivor of sexual violence than, for example, a white male. In order to have that in your policy and to exercise a good policy that has intersectionality written into it, you want to be writing in your sexual violence policy that you understand what intersectionality is and give a good, strong definition. And just because you look at somebody and they don't necessarily look like they have an intersecting identity doesn't mean that they're not. You can't always tell just by looking at somebody. You have to understand and know them. Another really important thing that we have been advocating for is having good and equal representation on the decision-making panels of sexual violence cases. So we want students, we want women, we want people of color, we want people who understand the way that certain minorities might have to move through life and understand how an instance of sexual violence might affect them differently. Talk more about the action component of the action plan and about the local Our Turn committees. By signing on to the Our Turn action plan, student unions have agreed that they are going to strike their own Our Turn committees. And in doing so, they have to take on our three pillars. Our three pillars are to prevent, support, and advocate. So in terms of prevention, we want them to run training and do bystander prevention. So if you see an instance of sexual violence that could be happening, that you are comfortable and you're knowledgeable enough to, first of all, identify that what's going on could be potentially dangerous and is an issue. And you know how to appropriately intervene and make sure that the person is okay. One thing that Carlton is doing is that we've had all of our clubs and societies have to get trained in order to get their second half of their funding for the year. So at this point in time, I think we've trained about 500 students on campus on how to prevent sexual violence, on how to be a good bystander and be able to intervene. And that's something that we were hoping to be able to have all of the universities who we have graded end up participating in. You are also supposed to be able to support your survivors. So the first thing that student unions are supposed to do once they've signed on to the Our Turn Action Plan is to pass a motion within their student union recognizing that rape culture does exist on campus. You can't address an issue that you don't see is there. So it's important that they do pass that motion and recognize that rape culture is important. And then we can begin to work on shifting that culture and changing it to consent culture. And you shift the culture on your campus through the support work and through the prevention work and education, but also through the advocacy. So that's advocating on your campus, advocating in your city, advocating with your provincial government and changing your policies, making sure that there are the right supports on your campus that are there for survivors to be able to access and as well to lobby your government Lobbying your provincial government is really important because the provincial government is the one who has mandated all of these changes. 
For us in Ontario, it's really important that we have an oversight mechanism and we are trying to lobby our provincial government to make changes to Bill 132 so that it's not just write your policy and that's okay. We want there to be an oversight mechanism. We need there to be less loopholes in the bill. What are the next steps for our turn at the national level? Right now we're working on having more schools sign on to the action plans so that we can really have good sexual violence policies across the country. Not just in 14 schools, we want to see them in all schools, not just in universities, but also colleges. So at this point in time, the National Committee is really working on trying to get out there, speak to different schools, explain to schools and their student unions why their sexual violence policies need improvements. We are also trying to work with some people in the government to figure out how we can make changes to the bills and how we can have these oversight mechanisms that would enforce Bill 132 in Ontario and their counterparts in different provinces across the country to make sure that institutions aren't just saying, well, we consulted five students, so that's good enough. Or we've written our standalone sexual violence policy. We won't revisit it until four years as the government mandated. There needs to be more oversight to it. And so that's what the National is working on right now. And we are hoping to be able to mobilize the groups on campus and use the people that we have on the ground in their own provinces to do the same thing and be able to advocate for their own needs. We're trying to develop different materials that can be passed out, different checklists and stuff on how you can lobby your government, how to make a human rights complaint if your school isn't receiving your complaint with sexual violence properly. That's a big thing as well. So say there is a listener out there who is a student somewhere in Canada who thinks that this is a really important issue and wants to get involved in trying to transform rape culture, in working against sexual violence. What would your advice be for that student in terms of what they should do? I would say see if there are any groups on your campus already who are trying to do this. You don't want to be doubling up on the same thing. It's important that we all work together. I would also say know your policy, understand your policy, talk about it, and stand up when you see something wrong or when you think something is wrong. If you want to get involved, if you are on one of the 14 campuses that have student unions who sign on to our action plan, find them and there is no reason why you wouldn't be able to join. And if you think that your sexual violence policy needs improving, start with your peers. That's exactly how we did it. We wrote our own letter and we shared it and we discussed it with people that we knew and people we didn't know. We had open sessions for people to come by. And of course, if you need help with anything, the people at the National Archern are more than happy to help. We're happy to provide the proper supports. You have been listening to my interview with Jade Cooligan Pang of Our Turn. To learn more about their work, Search for Our Turn Notre Tour on Facebook. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. 
Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.